Falcon and Billy. Uh, Barry or Belly. Belly. Uh, so, <laughs> no, no, I didn't say Billy. I said the Belly. Belly? Okay. Falcon and Belly. I love it. <laughs> this is the episode, Barry, that I'm going to call the Forbidden Door episode. And no, not because of what happened this past weekend with your girlfriend. You told me uh, she uh, opened up a forbidden door, but that's another subject. But And that's strictly between you two, obviously. Uh, what, sure. what you do in time is strictly yours. Uh, Barry, on this particular episode, we are going to the rings of New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, as Shinya Hashimoto defends his IWGP title against his lordship. No, not Barry Rose. It's Steven Regal. And uh, that's a really fun match. Uh, British-style wrestling that Lord Barron's really loves. Besides all that, we're going to be talking some AEW, some stuff that's been going on there. Going to be answering a few questions Posed by some of uh, the brothership talking about that. A very quick Florida man or not segment. However, a couple things before we start, Barry. Number one, let me mention once again, Patreon available for $5 a month. Breaking kayfabe with Boudreau and Barry. Always a fun time. I can tell you folks that as this show drops, Barry and I, his lordship, are in the middle of an interview that I predict will set the brothership on fire. Go ahead, say it, Barry. Fire! Thank you. Because what does the brothership love more than wrestling, television, movies, music, sports, which I'll get to in just a second? They love, Barry, porn. That's right. We are going to be discussing porn with a Patreon guest. If that won't pull the five freaking dollars out of your wallet for a nice discussion, not just porn. And no, we're not talking bukkake videos, which, by the way, I think it's the first time we ever said the word bukkake video on this fine show, Barry. Bukkake. That's a very good interpretation. <laughs> you almost sounded like a professional broadcaster. Right. We are going to school 60s, 70s, and 80s porn on our Patreon episode that is going to be coming out the first week I'm sorry, the first Thursday of May, very porn discussion. Are you looking forward to that tomorrow? It's good. Look, this is going to be a lot of fun. So we are recording this, and there is a Facebook group, and we're, we're going to reveal what the Facebook group is on the Patreon episode. But there's a Facebook group that is essentially uh, devoted to what Jeff was just talking about, and that's porn actresses from the 70s, 80s, uh, 90s. But the guy who is doing this is a he's so detailed in his research and is done and you'll be able to hear about his methods of uh of his research this guy he could be a private investigator he's a little doesn't want to reveal too much about himself i guess because he has quote unquote a straight job and doesn't want this getting back to employers but at the same time if if you've got a favorite porn actress from the 70s 80s and into the 90s you're going to want to reach out and you're going to want to find out whatever happened to this actress or these actresses. This guy knows. This guy knows where they all are, Jeff. And I got to tell you, this has been I've been following some of his work. This is really, really fascinating. And all these stories, you know, I, I think maybe I have a preconceived notion on what the ending is on a lot of these stories. A happy no. ending. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, oh. see what you did there. Oh, very, very you. good. It's not what you always think. There, there's, uh, there's so much involved. And he's going to explain all this on the next Patreon. If you have not subscribed, as Jeff just said, it's only $5. That $5 helps us tremendously, whether it's buying new equipment. Jeff had work done on a computer not so long ago. I mentioned the new microphones that had to go in. Lose freaking salary. 
for crying out loud. Do you think do you think the sweet loose scam likely comes cheap? Absolutely not. He lives in San Francisco, for God's sakes. He's got a mortgage payment. Come on, There's nothing people. cheap in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Even fucking dirt on the streets expensive these days. So Listen look. to Porn Talk to help Sweet Lou pay his mortgage. <laughs> That's our new tagline. So Love speaking it. of the sweet man, Louis, please join us because it has been a hot tick since we have discussed sports on this fine broadcast. What? And since the baseball season has just started Sweet Lou, your thoughts yesterday at the time we're recording this, the Kyle Schwarber, Angel Hernandez situation. What did you think? Well, I haven't seen the uh, the incident itself yet. I'm just seeing a lot of uh, responses on social media. So, you know, eh, Angel Hernandez, he's trash. Is he, in fact, as the great Brian Les said, the biggest heel in baseball? You know, I think he's he. There is a reasonable case to be made for that. Yeah, and he's not a Dory Funk Jr. subtle heel either. He's definitely out there, uh, just showing what a huge a hole he is. Uh, if you don't know who Angel Hernandez is, hey, go ahead and do the Google uh, and look it up because uh, it'll be so. Now, Barry, let me turn to you on a sports-related topic because I know you are Mr. Basketball. You love all things NBA-related. Barry, your thoughts on the playoffs? Biggest surprise in the playoffs to you? Biggest surprise in the playoffs. You weren't prepared for this question. I'm just throwing it at you. I was not. So before I let me say living in Philadelphia, Angel Hernandez is a big story locally currently because uh, he was confronted, whether you're aware, he was confronted by uh, a Phillies fan after the game. And uh, it's become a really big deal locally. So this has been playing. But biggest surprise so far would be and I would put it into one series how great the Boston Celtics are looking and how shitty the New Jersey Nets are looking. And I got it. Brooklyn Nets. But I hate them. I hate the Nets. I hate the fact that this was a team that was assembled. Let's see how many high profile guys we can get to win a championship. We're going to sink everything into it. And uh, Kevin Durant has not been playing well. And I don't love Kevin Durant. I did 10 years ago. I don't love Kevin Durant uh, these days. He's not playing great. Philadelphia, there was a party thrown. I I think the entire country heard it because you had millions of people celebrating when Ben Simmons was shipped out of town and sent to Brooklyn. And Ben Simmons yet to play a game for Brooklyn. They are on the verge of elimination. And Ben Simmons still won't come back because his back is sore. I don't know if you have seen the multitude of former NBA players that are trashing Simmons. He has taken a beating, but I think the folding of the nets, the, this uh, emergence of the Celtics, I would still say, I think golden state may be uh, winning it all, but I got to tell you the Celtics to me, I don't know where they came from and how this happened quietly this year. They have done it. They look like a fantastic team. I will say, and this is probably the first time I've ever said this on this show, is if you have not seen the clip, and it's like maybe a minute or less, of Stephen A. Smith absolutely skewering Ben Simmons for just quitting on his teammates and on on the league in general. Uh, And and while he's collecting a rather large salary. $30 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say, take take a minute out of your day and, and... 
uh, look up the uh, the Stephen A. Smith uh, skewering Ben Simmons because it's pretty classic. Barry, what do you say now that we're done talking about sports? Check. We go to a little wrestling. Let's talk match of the week, Barry. This week, we're going to April 16th, 1995 to Japan. Oh, no, no. It is not a woman's match. It's not a jumbo match. We're going to the rings of New Japan Pro Wrestling as Shinya Hashimoto defends that IWGP Heavyweight Championship against his lordship, Stephen Regal. I have to admit, at some point, uh, as we discuss this match, I'm sure I'm going to refer to him as William Regal. I know because I'm not perfect. Uh, Lord Barents, as I started watching this match, the first thing that popped uh, into my mind was, wow, Barry's going to love this match because it's got that British style. So, Barry, 100%, 100%. tell me if I was wrong or not. No, you, you're 100% corrected. So you didn't Check. tell me any. You did. You didn't tell me anything about this match going into it. You just sent me the leak and you said, hey, I sent you the uh, the match of the week. So when I started watching it, it, the first thing in my head was, I wonder what kind of match they're going to have. Like that's in some ways I, I didn't I, I couldn't see it in my head. I, I didn't see where this match would go three or four minutes into it. I clearly understood this was a British. This was a shoot style professional wrestling match. There weren't a lot of punches. Of course, there were some, but there, this wasn't, this was more about hooking and shooting and some kicks and things like that and submission maneuvers. And this was a, just a spectacular match. And I, I'll tell you what, one thing, William Regal, Stephen Regal, not to be confused with the original Steve Regal, Mr. Electricity, uh, which if you were named, don't you think? Cause well, I was going to uh, say, what do you think it was a rib that they called him? <laughs> Mr. Electricity. Good look. Uh, not a bad worker at all by any stretch, but certainly wasn't high on the list of, uh, of guys that were electric or exciting. But, uh, but this Steven Regal was, was really something else. What if they had let this Steven Regal, William Regal, Darren Matthews, what if they had let him go in the U.S., Jeff? What if they had said, go out there and work your style and have some just, you know, uh, really just fantastic matches? And they didn't. Of course, the guy was such a, a solid professional wrestler. His matches were great. But this style that he's working here, we really didn't see a lot of this in the U.S., if at all. And uh, as I was watching this match, and I got to tell you, I actually watched it twice. The first time, I, I don't know if I wasn't paying attention enough, and I was like, wait, I got to go back. And I actually went back, and I rewatched this match again, and I did that this morning. And Hashimoto, first off, here was another guy that, you know, obviously taken from us way too young. He died at a very young age and just a really solid worker. We, we've talked numerous times, Jeff, about who could have come over to the U.S., and from Japan and been a star. And, and I think a lot of times we phrase that question and we're like, who could have been the world champion? And I think that's how we've done it. But Hashimoto could have come over here, could have been this monster type of heel, just a bully monster type of heel. And I think could have done extremely well. And obviously with what's going on right now between AEW and New Japan, that would have been the perfect fit. Obviously, that's a, a decade or two late for something like that to ever occur. But Hashimoto coming over here and, and whether it was ring of honor, which I believe he may have wrestled some matches for, but I'm not sure, but 
you know, impact or just, you know, whatever the number two promotion was at one point. Uh, I, I, that's when impact had more than one or two uh, viewers, uh, you know, like uh, someone in our group. I won't mention his name because he gets too much attention. Please continue. <laughs> He's been getting a lot of attention lately as well, we should say. But yeah, look, an impact too. impact is seen. I got to say the quality of wrestling that takes place in impact currently is very good for the most part. There's has there been better days? Probably. But there's been a lot worse days in impact. The problem is nobody is aware that impact exists any longer. And uh, I did not get a chance to see the recent pay-per-view. But I heard it was excellent. And I got to tell you, Josh Alexander, for whatever the criticisms, you know, there was a lot of comparisons to Kurt Angle. I think the guy's a star. But getting back to the match, Hashimoto promoted right, booked correctly in this country could have been a huge, huge heel. This match, I, you know, we say this, this is a match I think you want to go out of your way for. This is a wrestling match and it is a strong style shoot wrestling match uh and obviously it's worked but i would say this is about as good as you're going to get from either of these guys which is really saying a lot too so uh my only difference of opinion with you regarding hashimoto is i think at first when he was presented to the if he was presented to the american audience there may have been a little bit of resistance because let's be honest uh he he doesn't have a look like everybody else has He's overweight. He uh, kind of has a big moon face. He's not a guy that immediately jumps out and you say, wow, this guy looks impressive. His work rate yeah, absolutely is. But so if he was brought over, this would be somebody like, I think they'd have to like kind of undersell at first and then uh, have him just destroy people like uh, for a few weeks and kind of then build up him as this kind of ultimate badass with the kicks and, and the, the chain wrestling and stuff like that. But I think, uh, I think if they tried to present him like as some sort of killer right from the get go, I think people would say, he looks like a fat guy, you know, which, and there's nothing wrong with that because as we have, you know, uh, expounded on many times, it's okay for people to look different. Not everyone has to look like a jacked up superhero, even though that's what Vince McMahon thinks. But I, I think there's something to be said for people that look different. And Hashimoto absolutely looks different. Now, on that note, I will also say that Regal, you know, he's obviously in incredible shape. Okay. He's got incredible, uh, you know, uh, uh, wind to go uh, long distances and matches and stuff like that. But that being said, he's not a muscle bound guy. You know, he's got a, a, a physique where his Chester, but he's got like a little bit of a gut, but yet, you know, he's, uh, although he doesn't look like a, a muscle head, he's obviously in tremendous shape. You know, uh, I love the beginning of the match where he puts the, the bone in his wrist across Hashimoto's nose and, and opens up Hashimoto. He gives him bloody nose. Apparently I read somewhere that Hashimoto went into this. I don't know if there was some sort of angle where somebody, uh, had, broken his nose in new Japan the new Japan rings or something, but he went into this uh, because what I read was that, that he went after his injured nose. Uh, and so maybe there had been some sort of angle, but Hashimoto's nose gets uh, bloodied fairly, fairly early in the match. This match, I want to say it goes between like 17 and 20 minutes. Maybe it's not an extremely long match, but wow, there's a lot of great chain wrestling, a lot of great uh, striking close quarters, like Regal's strikes, like very, you know, like, uh, I mean, they can't be more than like 
less than a foot. He's not throwing these winding up Barry Windham punches. He's striking in very close. And uh, the way that Hashimoto sells it is awesome because it looks like that Regal's just killing him. And I really like that. So, Barry, tell me if you happen to keep count, because I did, tell the good listeners how many high spots there were where uh, somebody <laughs> comes off the ropes and does a high spot. I believe zero in this. Uh, I counted one. Did you? Okay. Yeah, like, and that was maybe 12 minutes into the match. Uh, but this is not, uh, this is not a Young Bucks match. I can tell you that. Yeah. This is not Lucha Libre either, uh, you know, with lots of uh, planches and all this kind of, this is like ground and pound. They are on the mat working each other. But when I say that, it absolutely should not dissuade you from watching this match. This match is as snug and stiff as a uh, quote unquote pro wrestling match as you'll ever see. Because these guys, you know, like Hashimoto at one point, Rolls out of the ring. He's the baby face, really, with the you know Japan crowd. Uh, but he rolls out of the ring, and he's got this look on his face like he is just getting worn out uh, by Regal. And uh, it is incredibly impressive. The re-emphasis on Regal with the uh, AEW group, the uh, was it the Blackpool? I was trying to remember what was it, the Blackpool? You know, it, uh, the Blackpool Combat Club, I believe. Yeah, something like that. So it caused me to, well, let me see what we got out there with William Regal that, you know, we should, or Steven Regal that we should take a look at. And uh, I, I happened upon this match very, very pleasantly surprised. Both guys really, I thought uh, Hashimoto came off. Uh, and let, let's talk about the finish, Barry. The finish is like literally, uh, and that's part of what made this uh, quote unquote ground and pound uh, style uh, right. so interesting because the finish comes out of nowhere, Bear. Yeah, the finish comes out of nowhere, which I think that actually adds to the match yes, as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It adds. It's it, there's a realism factor to it, and by that finish coming out of nowhere, it absolutely, uh, I think, enhances the match. Yeah. So we will post a link to this match again from uh, April 16th of 1995, the Rings of New Japan. A really good look at uh, you know, think about it, Stephen Regal. Uh, if you uh, if you read his, did you read his book? I believe it's called Walking the Golden Mile. I did. I don't remember it, but I did read well, it. Well, I, I, you know, it was a great book. Very interesting, especially the look at, you know, his beginning of his career and the British wrestling and stuff like that. But a guy that really struggled with uh, a lot of personal demons. And you think, you know, as you're watching this match, that was literally right, right in the middle of his struggle, you know. And think about it. If this guy could have uh, avoided some of his injuries, uh, uh, avoided some of his personal demons, you're absolutely right. I, I could have easily seen this guy. Uh, becoming to the level of like, uh, yeah, a Billy Robinson, uh, something like that, where, you know, like a guy that is pushed as a uh, a contender, very legit for the World Heavyweight Championship, if not, you know, even something more, you know, uh, I right. think, you know, like, uh, because if you think about the fact that uh, WCW back in this time frame, uh, this was a, like a year or two after like somebody like Vader, I think, was the uh, the champion in, in WCW. And I would have really loved to have seen like Vader and, and, and Regal, you know, uh, because of Vader striking and, and size and seeing someone like Regal go after him, I think would have been very interesting. So, Barry, let's talk about some other stuff. Let's talk about AEW. The big news Ooh. coming in the last week is that EC, oh, ECW, AEW and New Japan have opened the, quote, forbidden door. And there's a pay-per-view coming up in June, uh, which will be a combined show in Chicago between the two promotions. So, Barry, the first question I have is, 
as you look at the possibility of that pay-per-view, if Barry Rose was given a call by Tony Khan and Tony Khan said, hey, Bear, how you doing, buddy? What's going on? How's that new romance going to be? Tony knows about what's going on in Barry's life. Obviously, sure he does. Yeah. Show. Uh, and he says, Barry Rose, I'm going to offer you the chance to book one dream match on that pay-per-view between an AEW star and a New Japan star. Barry, what are you picking? Oh, and that's an interesting question. I should say I'm going to try. try. Yeah, I'm going to try to make that. Uh, and and certainly I don't think New Japan is at the level that it was a few years back. I don't know. You know, it, I think COVID played a huge part in that, but uh, things happened. But I'm actually going to try to make that show. I'm in town locally in Pennsylvania, which means I don't have anything going on. So the question is maybe a two or three day trip to Chicago may be in order to be able to see that. Uh, this is remember the summer of George. This is the summer of the Lord of his Lordship. So yeah, I want to do it. I am going to go with you know, a, a trip to Chicago in the summertime. If the Cubs are in town, that's yep. mm, the booker is now stroking his chin. See? So see? Yeah. And then get me a ticket for the Cubs game because I'm going with you to the Cubs game. We're going to get to eat a lot of fucking hot dogs. This could be a lot of fun. Maybe we think about this. Maybe we reach out to our Chicago brothership and we have them get us tickets so we can make this trip. We could also swing by uh, Mariano's uh, uh, grocery store for, uh, you know, obviously some uh, perk uh, Mountain Dews and Pepsi and stuff like that from a certain store manager. Be great. Uh, anyway. Yeah, we'll do a lot of Portillo's. We'll go to Lou Malnati's, mm -hmm. uh, Giordano's. This this could be a lot of fun, a little trip. You haven't been to Chicago in years. I haven't been there. Uh, I haven't been since uh, 2016. Sir, I have not been since 2007. So wow. uh, Exactly. So I'm due. But uh, So going with it, I am going to – it's going to be Kazuchika Okada versus Daniel Bryan. Uh, Brian Danielson. I, I still fuck that up. Absolutely. Uh, Brian Danielson, probably still my favorite wrestler that's currently wrestling. Okada, fantastic. I might have three years ago, four years ago, said Tanahashi. I think now I'd say Okada, though. So I'm looking uh, at my notes here, and it says right here, uh, uh, my dream match. Ooh, Okada versus Danielson. Boom. There wow. Very great minds uh, thinking alike there. So yeah, now so. getting back to AEW, Barry, a question that came into my mind as I was watching the show the other night, uh, Sammy Guevara, you and I have discussed how uh, it seems as though he's heading towards that heel run uh, with the uh, the tongue kissing of the girlfriend. By the way, great line uh, by, <laughs> by Dan Lampert about how he's like a middle school kid uh, yeah. making out with his girlfriend. But the question that I have for you is Sammy Guevara and uh, uh, Ty Conti, uh, are they basically doing what Cody and Brandy should have been doing if they had stayed with the company? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, Cody and Brandy were heels to everyone that watched AEW with the exception of Cody and Brandy. So, uh, you know, Cody would come out, deliver his lines. My God, he had been booed for months. Brandy would come out. She's viciously ripped apart by the audience, but as clueless as they were with their egos. And I still believe as Cody and look, I, we should say, too, no one called me out on this about Cody Rhodes going to the WWE, where I said, I believe it's a work. We're now three, four weeks later, and nobody's called me out on this. So I'll call myself out on this. Yeah, I was wrong. That's absolutely right. With that, Barry, yes, you're 100% right on the fact you were wrong. 
I was. Uh, wait, a minute, hold on. All right, check. <laughs> I'm a little confused <laughs> by that, but all right. But I, in my head, I believe that uh, what happened in AEW is going to happen to Cody in the WWE as well. And I don't think he's going to have a say whether they're turning him heel or not, where he obviously did have a say and did not want to turn heel. And I believe that's a lot of the reason that he did. He left with that Sammy and Tay Conti. And, and before I get into that, I think especially in her case, this is a critical error. It's one thing to turn heel but it's another thing that people hate you so much that they turn you heel. And it's not that you've done some, it's almost like what we talk about the go away heat. It's almost the go away heat, which is turning them heel. That could really be a career killer. And that can be something that could be very hard to come back from. That's my opinion. I don't think that's an easy fix right there. And I think the way her career has been, I, I I just think she could be doing a lot of damage to her career. I think Sammy, even though this they're horribly miscast in this, I think he could possibly bounce back. But Sammy now has, as I just talked about with Conti, he has go away heat, Jeff. And it's this is a guy that was one of the pillars and I guess still is one of the pillars of AEW and a guy that you and I have praised. He had tremendous talent and I guess still does have tremendous talent. This gimmick is tough. And even as heels, this is going to be a tough one, in my opinion, to get out. I, I think they're already heels. And I say that because when he won back the TNT championship, he delivered a low blow to Scorpio Sky. And I think it was Shivani that said that shows a real lack of character on Sammy's part. I'm paraphrasing something similar to that. They're, they're already heels. They're already heels. It's just not this overt heel turn. But uh, I, I do believe it's already happening. I, I think, again, I think this is going to be a little hard to come back from. I don't think this is an easy fix on this one. And I, I think she's doing damage to herself. Yeah, I just don't like it. I don't, you know, it. it, it there no, are I, I guess I guess yeah. the ultimate question that I wanted to know was, let's just take the premise that Tony Khan wanted to turn Cody, okay, okay. And, and, and Brandy. And let's just say for the sake of this discussion that that Cody was resistant. OK, uh, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, like uh, I, I want to be a baby face. I want to be a top baby face in this company. And he was resistant. So this idea that uh, Tony Khan may have had, again, using this prim premise here, that he was going to turn both of them because they both were getting lots of heat. Uh, you know, heel heat as baby faces from the AEW crowd. So then Cody leaves. Okay. And, to and Tony Khan is sitting there and he's like, you know, man, I, I got this really good idea. And now how can I use this really good idea? Hey, Sammy Guevara is now with Ty Conti. He's uh, thrown the, the girlfriend that they did the big thing at ringside with recently. Uh, and, and now all of a sudden uh, that chick's been, uh, uh, tossed to the wayside. Uh, and by the way, no one giving uh, Sammy any kind of heat for that. Uh, but now he's got this new girlfriend from Brazil. And hey, how about I throw this idea at Sammy and let that angle that I have in mind, let's have Sammy and Ty Conti do that angle. And I mean, you, you get my premise here? Yeah. So you're thinking that this was already essentially done and signed, sealed and delivered. And because Cody took his ball and left that they've now re yeah, that, you know what, that would seem to make a lot of sense. Look, at least 
at, at least Sammy had the guts to go through with it. And at least Tony Khan stuck to his guns and, and they went through with it. Uh, yeah, I, that would actually make a lot of sense to me, Jeff. I, I could see that happening. Every once in a while, I get a good job. Oh, there you go. Idea. So I'm on Twitter uh, the uh, other day recently, and I saw this posted. I'll give him credit. I don't know if this guy uh, is a listener of our show, but I thought it was a good question. At uh, Brandon Thurston asked or, or comments, much concern about the average consumer with little affinity for wrestling, not enough about the disengaged but hardcore fan who would rather listen to a podcast about wrestling than consume because mainstream wrestling showed disdain for them for most of the last 20 years. Well, first what do you off, think? He's a hundred percent correct. And he's a genius. Uh, and he's, he's absolutely right. I, I look, I watch a, I haven't watched the WWE program. It's, it's impossible to watch it. First off, I want to watch it. I want to watch it and I want to like it. I just cannot uh, invest the three hours to to maybe get 10 minutes of something I enjoy. Smackdown a little bit better, but by the same token, I just can't stay involved with it. And look, we, we've talked uh, ad nauseum. I've never used that phrase. We have talked at great lengths on this podcast, Jeff. <laughs> You've never used it to the point where you don't want to say it again. <laughs> exactly. But we have we have talked how the WWE doesn't give a shit what you think, and they're not going to alter their program to make fans happy, even the most vocal fans on social media. What it comes down, they run it like a business, and as long as the revenue is still there and they're bringing in money, and apparently every report that's, you know, every stock report and every quarterly report that's put out, they're making more money than God. And uh, why are they going to change things? It's not professional wrestling any longer, and it doesn't matter. But again, to your point, with this uh, this Twitter author, he is correct. The promoters have always shit on the fans. And the only there is a select group that didn't in the 70s and maybe the 80s. And Paul Bosch, and look, we I probably have referenced this, but Paul Bosch, and here was a guy that was universal, except for Harley Race. It appeared everybody got along with Bosch extremely well. Harley and Bosch had an, an issue. I'm not quite sure what that was, but Paul Bosch had a saying, and you know, if he drew and I don't know what his numbers were as far as drawing, but on Friday nights at the Sam Houston Coliseum, if he drew 6,000 one week and 4,000 the next week, you know, somebody would say to him, well, you know, the weather was bad outside and traffic was bad. And he, you know what his reply was? That isn't it. I put on a card that people didn't want to see. That's exactly what it was. So, you know, I, I like this. There are a few promoters that truly listen to fans these days. Again, I do think maybe Tony Khan does. I definitely think Vince McMahon could give a shit what anybody outside of his circle thinks, as long as the ratings and the numbers are there. But this guy's right. You know, the WWE well, and, has essentially spit on fans for 25, 30 years. They don't give a shit about you. And, you know, the thing is, uh, you're right. Vince does have that network money coming in. Okay. Uh, so he basically, he can afford to sit there and give everyone the middle finger and say, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, I'm going to make this, you know, guy a star, even though, uh, people aren't reacting to him the way that a star. And, and you know, I've been extremely vocal about the fact that I don't watch the WWE product. You know, if somebody says, oh, there was this match, uh, or, or this pay-per-view that you absolutely should watch because there were four or five really great matches, I'll go out of my way to watch it. If someone sits there and says, oh, it's the 10th consecutive week that Raw has sucked, 
Why do I want to watch it? Who cares? You know, there's nothing I want to see. Now, let me tell you something. Between, eh, let's see, about 1997 and 2003, I was a pretty avid fan. Maybe even into 2005. Right before, like, uh, when did the Benoit thing happen? Was it about 2005 or? 2007. Yeah. yeah. Like, cause I, and it wasn't like I was like drawing a line in the sand. Oh, Chris Benoit killed his family. I'm not what, no, it was just things had kind of started to go downhill by that point. And it was sometime around there, uh, that just kind of checked out. And, uh, you know, I, I perhaps say I pretty much missed the whole John Cena thing. You know, we reviewed a John Cena match on this show. I enjoyed it. I, I liked watching it. And was it, who was it, CM Punk that he faced? Do you remember, Bear? It was. And that was yeah. a hell of a match. Yeah, right? it was a good, it was a really good match. But, you know, I missed, you know, every week watching Raw or, or whatever, SmackDown, when John Cena was the number one star in the company uh, because it just didn't have anything going on that interested me. Guess what? If this week on Raw, they start doing something and it's like, People start going, wow, they did a really interesting show. And then, like, you know, uh, two, three, four more weeks goes by, and they're, hey, they got this storyline that's really pretty captivating. You should check it out. Guess what? I'm going to check it out because that's what happened in 1997. Something happened. I I, I don't know if it was uh, Austin. I don't know if it was Bret Hart uh, what it was. But at some point, somebody said something to me about how, oh, you should be checking out what they're doing because it's a pretty interesting storyline. I flipped over. And they had me hooked for friggin' seven, eight years. And, you know, if they come up with something that's interesting enough for me to start watching again, I'll watch it. You know, uh, AEW, uh, are they the, quote, darling of the hardcores? I don't know that they're the darling of the hardcores the way that, say, ECW was, because they're more mainstream. And I have to, let me just say this, uh, because I've been wanting to bring this up. There is someone, I'm not going to mention his name, I'll just say he's, part of the Arcadian Vanguard network. It's not Brian. It's not Jimmy. I'm just going to say that. But there's somebody else, and I've mentioned it to Barry, who really goes out of their way to shit on AEW. And I'm like, why? I don't understand. I I don't enjoy the the WWE. I don't go out of my way to shit on it. You know, I don't sit there and and post in Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram, whatever fucking social with TikTok. Oh, AEW, they fucking suck. And this person does that. And I'm I even actually asked Brian, I go, what the fuck is with this guy hating AEW so much? Like he goes out of his way. If you don't enjoy the product, hope that it gets better. Don't sit there and hope that it gets worse. Because guess what? As a wrestling fan, and I know this person is a wrestling fan. As a wrestling fan, you should, I want WWE to get better. I want their programming to get, you know, to where it captivates me so that I got to sit there and figure out another way during my week to squeeze in Raw or SmackDown so that I can enjoy it. And I, I don't get when people uh, somehow misunderstand that whole uh, idea. So the next thing I wanted to bring up, I got to find it now. Somebody brought up the question. Let me see if I made a note of what the uh, gentleman said. Jeff, are we not going to call this individual out by name? Uh, nah, nah, the world is waiting for this. I don't want to fucking cause it. To your point, I know you don't. And I'm actually teasing about that too. So, to your point about this, here's what I find odd. And there's a guy that does this for the I mean, there's a lot of people that do it for the WWE, but this is what I find interesting. He watches Monday Night Raw every week. And I'm aware of the last five to 10 years, 
he has a scathing review every Tuesday morning of Monday Night Raw. So he has spent somewhere between five and ten years completely hating the product, but yet will watch it every week just to tell you how much he hates it and how much it sucks. I'm not disagreeing with his analysis of the show. I'm questioning, much like this AEW person, and we both know who this is, that if you don't like it, that's fine. Look, it's not for everybody. I would be the first one. No, and that's completely acceptable. Absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. If you don't want to watch it, don't. But the fact that you would watch it constantly and then criticize it says, A, there's either clearly something wrong with you or you're screaming for attention, waving your arms in the air saying, look at me, look at me. I hate AEW. I can't say the three three letters, but it is it's literally screaming for attention so you can fit in with the cool kids uh, and the other haters that are out there. If you're and then if you're not watching it and you're criticizing the product, well, that that seems to make a lot of sense. Right. There's a lot of validity in uh, in your review if you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. So I uh, well, I, you know, I, I'll throw another uh, sort of corollary there. You know, Brian last tried to get me to watch The Wire for the longest time. I finally watched The Wire. And of course, it's completely fucking epic. It's like one of the greatest television shows of all time. However, if Brian last had sat there and said, Jeff, you got to watch The Wire. It's a fucking excellent show. OK. And I watched say the first five episodes and i was like wow this really sucks yeah i'm not getting it i'm not gonna sit there and watch like the next fucking three four five seasons however long it was just to sit there so i could be able to say this show completely sucks but by god i'm gonna keep watching it because i want to see if it stops sucking well you know maybe at some point just sit there and go maybe it's not for you maybe this isn't what you like so maybe go to the next TV show that you can sample to see if you like it or not. Yeah, I just don't understand that. So next, Barry, our friend Andrew Betts posted an interesting question. Uh, there was a little bit of discussion in the group. I wanted to get your thoughts. Andrew wanted to know, I have a question for the next Q&A. Could ECW have been born anywhere else given what it became and the type of fans in Philadelphia? What do you think? Well, that's a, that's uh that's an interesting question and that's uh, uh that's Andrew a, I don't want you getting all full of yourself now just yeah, yeah. an interesting question that's a question too that requires uh, that's usually a beer or a weed question <laughs> <laughs> like it's like you know you go hey I wonder you know it's you remember the scene in Animal House when Donald Sutherland is talking about universe and and uh, Pinto goes wait do you think there could be a whole universe in my thumb. Like you know, that's exactly you got to be high to really get that. But that's a, that is an excellent question. So I think that there are few cities where ECW could have thrived in the beginning. Certainly, Jeff, you saw ECW numerous times in South Florida. They had a great presence. They were over, right? They did well. Yes, but absolutely. you're building the company. You're going to have to find the city to build it in. My own opinion, if it wasn't Philadelphia, it would have been. And I know Queens, New York, where they had it was at the Elks Lodge. They had many a show in the Elks Lodge. It would I think it would have had to have been New York. It would have had to have been somewhere in the Northeast and somewhere where fans could be a little crazier. Philadelphia. Well, let, let, yeah. me, let me just interrupt. Uh, I think part of the reason that Philadelphia or, you know, like New York would have been appealing. Let's be honest. At the time, they really started taking off. Eh, let's say 93 ish. 
Uh, I'm just going to use that like sort of uh, I, I think that's like right when I don't know when Shane like threw the belt down and said, uh, I'm, uh, where are we going to come extreme? I don't mean that. But so many territories had not just gone by the wayside. I mean, they just bur- Florida was burned to the fucking ground. OK, uh, Dallas, even though they lasted into the 90s, was pretty much burned to the ground. Uh, Memphis was hanging on by a thread. There was nobody up in Minneapolis. Now, what you had, in my opinion, in Philadelphia and in like New York City and the Queens area, uh, I'm going to spark up a little controversy here, Barry. You had a lot of wrestling fans who had maybe seen some pretty shitty wrestling over the years. Okay, Uh, for every great Bob Backlund match, you had some pretty crappy stuff also, you know, Uh, for every great uh, headline card uh, that Philadelphia saw, you saw a lot of like. S.D. Jones and, uh, you know, Jose Luis Rivera, the opening, you know, like I, I see people post things about, you know, so, oh, look at this great card. And I sit there and go, oh, what, what? And I look and I go, OK, there's one match that I would probably watch. Uh, and the second one. Eh, and then the, like the three or four, their spot shows were not good. OK, yeah. the spot shows that they would run in the in the WWF, quote unquote, territory that had four matches that people really wanted to see were kind of, I think, few and far between. You know, of course, the Garden would bring in big names and, you know, Backen would get in a good series with guys. Yeah, we talked about Adrian Adonis, Don Morocco, Pat Patterson. There were a lot of great opponents that made for a good series and the headlines were good and they would throw some six-man tag in there and then the Intercontinental uh, champion would would have a, maybe a good opponent. And, you know, that was the quote-unquote the spot on the card where they would have a really good match. Okay. And so, uh, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not completely shitting on the WWF product, but as someone who had grown up in Florida, like look at it, look at a Georgia card from, uh, from Atlanta or Marietta around 78 or 79 and the depth of those cards, or look at a Memphis card from 78 or 79, the depths of those cards, and then look at a WWF uh, show from, outside of Madison Square Garden, okay? Or maybe even a Philadelphia card. They just didn't have a lot of depth. So what you had, and the reason I'm kind of very long-windedly getting there, is that you had a lot of very good wrestling fans who were very into those one or two matches, maybe sometimes three, that they would have on those shows that wanted more. And then the NWA in the, you know, 86, 87, 88, started running shows in Philadelphia or in New Jersey or other places. And the fans were like, fuck, man, this is, is you know, Ric Flair and, and the Midnight Express and the Four Horsemen and all this kind of, this is some good fucking action here. So they were starved. And then when ECW started, the one thing that they, you know, they gave the people was you'd always see fucking tons of action. They would bring in big names. Sometimes they would have great matches. Sometimes they wouldn't, but they were big names. And I'm talking about, you know, guys like Snooker that were really pretty much past their prime uh, and stuff like that. But you know, they had big names and then you'd have guys in the card that would throw down and have great matches. And so, you know, that's part of, you know, bringing that fan base that, that was really looking for, you know, really solid matchups, really good action in the ring. And that's what they gave them. So I think that was a natural draw for that area for ECW to thrive in. Could they have done that hypothetically in Memphis or in Dallas or in Tampa? I don't think so, because I think those areas were really burned to the ground by the, the promotions uh, in their dying days. What do you think of that, Bear? Yeah, well, they, they, they absolutely were. And I think that's a, 
that's one of the biggest points is that a lot of these promotions were you know like Jim Cornette right Jim Cornette when he started Smoky Mountain even though Smoky Mountain didn't make it he was very smart though he was he had a specific idea for a product and he had a specific audience a crowd that he uh he was sure was going to take to it and to some degree they really did take to it ECW was very similar and Philadelphia was the right city and look we could also say with Philadelphia you know there was uh whatever the Joel Goodhart's promotion was prior to this it was Eastern Eastern, Eastern right Ch- and there was even, and then there was like it wasn't there like trans world I don't know there was like a there was another like a TWA there was a trans wrestling, I don't know, trans, tri-state re- trans wrestling alliance. My God. <laughs> I know. There you go. I'm woke. A tri-state wrestling alliance, I think is what it was called. Yes, but it was something I, called, T- yeah. So, and I should say too, I saw Joel Goodhart when Glacier was here for Nick Massey, the captain at that fan fest, and Joel in a wheelchair, not looking good. Oh, wow. Um, I know that. Yeah. So they, and I, you know, it, because a lot of, you know, that was where we got like the Eddie Gilbert, Terry funk matches in the early days. Right. That was um, amazing shit. Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, Joel was that guy and they bring Joel, uh, or Joel comes to a lot of these fan fests locally. I believe he's either within Philly or New Jersey. And he comes to see a lot of old friends and people that he had worked with, but Joel not looking good when I saw him three weeks ago, whatever it's been. I still think, I think Philly, Again, to Andrew's point, ECW was organic, was an organic growth coming out of TWA and Eastern Championship Wrestling and all the local promotions within Philly. I, I do think it would have had to have been New York. I think it would have had to have been Queens. I think, you know, you, you could have looked at uh, maybe Brooklyn or something like that. Manhattan's out of the question. The Bronx, you know, I, I don't know if that would have worked, but they had their fan base at the Elks Lodge. I think they could have done it. Maybe parts of New Jersey as well. End result to Andrew's excellent question. It had to be the tri-state area, I do believe. So I saw something uh, pop up the other day on Facebook, Barry. I have a question for you uh, as Mr. CWF archivist, not Uh historian. Yeah. So Barry, I noticed on a card that you posted from March 30th of 1977, a matchup between Ox Baker and Ernie Ladd. Yes. Uh, So my question is, Ox Baker and Ernie Ladd had a pretty legendary feud in the state of Georgia. So my question to you is, was their feud in Florida an extension of what started in Georgia, or was it something that there was an angle done to create a whole new uh, you know, feud? Well, Jeff, that sound, Jeff, is my clock. It's me making a clucking noise. But essentially, Jeff, you are 100% on the money, my friend. Check. It's a very astute I observation. you were giving me a tisk, tisk, tisk. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, well, I'm not good at any of those yeah, okay. vocal shits, but hey, that's a very astute observation because they did build on previous issues between them. Aha. Aha. So Ernie came into the state, came in as a baby face, was uh hadn't, you know, Ernie, a former NFL uh player, had not been in the state for about a decade. I want to say it was sixty-seven was the last time he was here. He was a baby face, young baby face at that stage. Came back 10 years later, and Ernie, in those 10 years, had really accomplished a lot. He had had that feud with uh, Ox Baker, and I think it was usually, if I'm going to guess, you had two guys who were larger, right? Ernie's six, billed as 6'9", 
I don't know, six, seven, six, eight, I'm going to assume. Ox also larger, very intimidating by his look. But they had feuded for Pedro Martinez in upstate New York. They had worked together for Ann Gunkel in Georgia. There were, there yes. was a feud between the two there. Cleveland, which I also think was part of Johnny Powers and the, Pedro The Martinez. famous riot. In, the riot. At, was yeah, it 100%. Cleveland Stadium? In Cleveland? Uh, it was in Cleveland. I don't, I don't know where it was at, but it was in Cleveland. So they, they, there was a history, and I think a lot of it was that, you know, again, you had two guys who there was, they were both big guys. So why, why not put these two big guys? So there was something, and I forget all the details, but Ernie came to Florida, but he wanted Ox Baker for something that Ox had done to him previously. And they worked together for at least a month, maybe six weeks. Ernie was, again, brought in as the number two baby face. And I mean, became the number two baby baby face right behind Dusty Rhodes within a week. I mean, it happened super, super quick. With that, Ernie then eventually turned on Dusty Rhodes, became the number one heel. But yeah, that was, I, I like the fact that you really picked up on that. And that, that to me was a smart move in the territory days. Why not? Why not? build a storyline based off of something that had happened previously. They had done this just a few minutes or a few minutes, a few months earlier, Tommy Siegler came into the state and Tommy had come in that he had had his leg broken by the assassin. And he started chasing the assassin throughout the state. Of course, the assassin was the booker at the time and it brought Tommy in, you know, it made a lot well, of sense. And, you know, and famously, I, I know, uh, I think Johnny Valentine and Wahoo, Yes, uh, Johnny Valentine and Red Bastine. Uh, they they took these programs all over the country and usually coincided with uh, somebody they knew or maybe one of them uh, becoming Booker in a different area. And uh, you know, if it's a, a program that's made money somewhere else, why not try it again? You know, with a new audience, and it's absolutely very smart. It's a built-in, you know, especially look. You've obviously you've you know you you've done booking to some degree. You're going to, in your head, if you're if you're a booker, you're going to analyze every scenario of how I can put butts in seats. That is, in my, I mean, my I'll tell you what my favorite is, and then I'll, right after. But this, to me, is the most built-in storyline there is. If these two guys feuded in another territory, and one guy's here and another guy's coming in, absolutely. Look, in Florida, would do it. I I want to say Memphis did it a couple of times that they would even get footage from the other territories and they would get the footage and they would, they would say, oh, these guys had a feud. They were a team. They broke up, whatever it is. And then they would show the footage from Memphis and Florida. So we actually knew you weren't just telling us this, you were actually giving us the footage. So as somebody, Jeff, as uh, somebody who has done a lot of booking, somebody who is writing a book about this very subject as well. And I've been fascinated. To me, I wanted to write a book years ago, and I, I've had about 10 books on my plate. I've been working on a book about new wave music for, I don't know, nine years at this point. But I wanted to write a book on bookers and their booking philosophies. And I actually reached out to several wrestlers three, four years ago just to get their take on this and to get some quotes, best booker, et cetera. I have all this. I never did anything. My favorite angle, if I was going to do it, was what I would call the old Killer Carl Cox, Jimmy Garvin for uh, on a, a bigger scale. Maybe it's the Mr. Wrestling 2 Magnum T.A. Terry Allen angle where the old wily vet takes the young guy underneath his wing until the day that the young guy surpasses the vet. The vet then turns heel 
I love that angle. To me, I well, and you, is, I, I'm sorry, you you've got yeah. the thing going with Wardlow and MJF. Uh, Similar, where, it was you know, a, the that, bodyguard that you know. Yeah, it, which that's another, but that's another one. The the hired gun, the guy who's the bodyguard, the guy who is the uh, you know the guy that I'm paying you know to to do my dirty work. Eventually, that's a big one. So I ask you, as somebody, you know, you don't you don't just write a column in the Wrestling Observer on a weekly basis for a couple of years about booking without really studying what booking's about and giving it a lot of thought. What would be your favorite made to go, ready to go angle? Like the ones we just discussed, what's your favorite? So the one that we have discussed on this show before and that we discussed when we had Sean Waltman as a guest is the Razor Ramon one, two, three kid angle. You have the young kid who's in with a, uh, an established star and they have a match on TV and everyone assumes it's going to be a three minute squash, but and, and you know, honestly, uh, what do you call uh, uh, what's the kid in AEW? Um, Which one? Wheeler Udo. Uh, yes. Where they kind of did that with him, where he he Not got his ass. Not to you, Jeff. Go but ahead. holy fuck, have they done an, an amazing job with Wheeler Udo? Absolutely, me, textbook perfect. What they've done with this kid. Yeah, and uh, he basically earned his stripes with the the Blackpool Club uh, by getting his ass kicked, but you know, coming back for more. And, you know, with the, the Ramon uh, 1-2-3 kid, let's just say, theoretically, that you have the established star and the young kid, and you're like, this young kid's got a lot of potential. I want to do something with him. So the first the first time they wrestle, uh, well, the kid maybe uh, hangs on, and uh, instead of getting beaten, uh, they do something where he wins – by disqualification, like the, you know, the, the guy, uh, maybe uh, there's a count out, something like that. And the established star is now is really pissed and just goes to the promoter and says, I want to rematch this guy because I should have pinned that guy. Uh, he won by a fluke cause I got counted out. So then you bring him back the next week. And then the next week, uh, instead of beating the guy, he can't quite beat him. It man, it goes to a 10 minute draw and everyone's like, Holy crap, man, this guy, he's, he's hung with them. Then they make it where the third week you bring it back and the storyline is continuing where this kid is almost getting beat, but he's fighting. And maybe even like, say the third week, the guy beats him, but like beats him in nine and a half minutes, you know, right, right underneath. Okay. The, the 10 minute time limit and the guy's not happy. And maybe there's been a couple of the, the young guy got a couple of two counts on him where it was really close. And so now the veteran stars really pissed off. Oh, I want another match because I'm going to, and kill this kid because he's made me look bad and you know all of a sudden now the young kid maybe has another star that comes to the ring with him just to make sure there's no shenanigans you know and all of a sudden a month's gone down the road and you got the one two three kid who's all of a sudden a star and now it certainly helps that you had somebody like razor ramon willing to go along with that whole premise of creating you know giving someone a rub of your star power and your star potential you've given this and you've created a new star that's my answer, Bear. And I and it's a it's a good answer too. So all right, so why don't we do this, Jeff? Take out Wheeler Yuda in the sense it, it's a little different. And again, I'm such a fan of what they've done. That whole Blackpool Combat Club, but adding Wheeler Yuda, you've made this kid a star. He's made himself a star, right? By his work ethic, he's really done it. Since you watch AEW, really, it's the only one that I'm currently watching as well. Who else, if you were going to do 
the one, two, three kid Razor Ramon angle with somebody, who would you do it with in AEW? First guy that jumps to my mind is uh, maybe Dante Martin or um, what do you call uh, Caster? What's his first name? Max Caster. Max Caster. Yeah, yeah, because I think those two guys are really on the precipice of, of becoming really big deals uh, in the company. And I think if you gave them uh, just uh, you don't even have to have them pin a big star. Just go to a draw, you know. Uh, with somebody, uh, or, you know, maybe win by a count out where they get the victory and all of a sudden the, the establishment, you know, like, uh, Max Caster, uh, no, let's say Dante Martin has a match with Chris Jericho. Okay. And Jericho's toying with them. And then something happens. They go outside the ring and Dante Martin, cause he's, he's such a great athlete jumps back in the ring in time. And now he's won a match over Jericho by count out. And, you know, and Jericho, Jericho is a superstar. He doesn't lose anything. Okay. So then they bring him back for a second week, do the same thing. And, and you do the same scenario and you do the same thing with Max Caster, Max Caster on the mic. Holy shit. That guy is, is just awesome because you know, every week you look forward to that guy coming to the ring with whatever the latest news or dirt or gossip is in the wrestling business or in pop culture. Cause I think he made a reference to Will Smith the week after that whole thing happened. Yeah, he you know, did. <laughs> he's very in tune with pop culture and what's going on in wrestling. And he manages to just, you know, put a pen in someone's uh, balloon and he does a great job at it. And I really look forward to that segment. You know who else I, I will say, not that they, ha they, they haven't done this. You know who I really enjoy on rampage is Ricky Starks. I really think he did because he's not such a heel that he'll kind of dismiss someone who has ability he gives people as he's talking and being snarky and sarcastic and heelish, he'll also give people credit. And I think that, you know, it certainly helps the, the, the person as a potential opponent. You don't want to be so dismissive that it wouldn't mean anything when you, you face the guy, you know? Yeah. So Ricky Starks is doing a good job. I, it, it is what I like also about AEW is that a lot of the guys are either Rampage or Dynamite. Ricky Starks has been Rampage. I know he had that uh, appearance on Dynamite recently, which I think was his first appearance in a while, but I like the fact that Starks and Hobbs kind of are are Rampage, you know, and Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. I believe Swerve will be swerving on Keith Lee. Uh, what? I, I get that vibe that uh, Swerve... You made a few predictions that didn't come true. <clears throat> Yeah, you we'll can, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so bet against, yes, bet against whatever I'm saying. If you where the, where the smart money is, but I do think Swerve looks like he's going to be turning heel. But I I like I like the fact that Starks is able to do it. There is uh, Max Caster. The only thing I would say is I think that the upstart beating the veteran is more of a babyface upstart. I don't know if that works as much if it's a heel. I think it takes on a different vibe with that. I am with you 100%. When I hear the music start for the acclaimed, and then I hear him come out and go, listen, there is a YouTube video that is out there that has every Max Caster rap that he's used on AEW on one video, Jeff. Highly, highly entertaining. I, I know that he got in trouble for the one about the, the, the Duke lacrosse team. And probably <laughs> rightly so. That was a little. That's a. That's crossing a line. I would a think. Edgy. But yeah. a little edgy. But but they're all a little edgy, right? Yeah, uh, that's part of the appeal. It is. I wonder. I wonder the current process. And I often think about it. 
does he have to clear this with Tony Khan and or the person he's rapping with? Uh, because some of it is is edgy. I mean, it's super edgy. Uh, but he's a star. He's an absolute. I think those, those two guys together, I think I think Anthony Bowens. So Anthony Bowens is a guy I saw in Independence up in New Jersey. He would be at the uh, Rahway Rec Center and wrestling in front of two or three hundred people. Guy looks like a million dollars, didn't have much of a personality, was on NXT and got injured, uh, I think, severely by the authors of Pain. If you remember those two guys, very they were careless. They wound up hurting Anthony Bowens and he was out. And then Anthony Bowens took the big step and uh, where this would have been the kiss of death years ago, came out and publicly announced that he was gay. And uh, or it might have said bisexual. I forget exactly what the verbiage was, but he's been in a long term relationship with somebody, apparently. And, you know, I think we know that if this had occurred a few years back, professional wrestling wasn't tolerant. They you know, this wouldn't have worked. AEW absolutely embraces it, which is fantastic. And, uh, you know, I I think as a team, I get so excited. I think I I actually jump off the couch when the acclaim come out, Jeff. Very, very quick Florida man or not story for you. Are you ready? Yes. The headline, potential meth lab discovered in a hotel room. Barry, the story goes, fire rescue responded to a 911 call about someone who was unresponsive inside a hotel room at the La Quinta Inn. Wow. Always known for their top quality service, Barry, at the old La Quinta, <laughs> uh, Saturday after 11 a.m. Fire rescue arrived and found someone who was dead inside the room due to a possible overdose. Officials say they discovered that the unit was being run as a possible meth lab. As a result, the hotel was evacuated for safety reasons. Uh, police said, quote, this was a more crude operation, more than likely for personal use type of a deal. So it wasn't an industrial scale operation going on at the wow. Lakenta Inn. Very Florida man or not. I am going to say this is Florida, and then I'm going to tell you a story about La Quinta, La, La, La Quinta, La Quinta, La Quinta, La Quinta Inn. Uh, this was Florida, though. Yes, 100%. Plantation, Florida. Wow. Off of Peter's Road. And you know what that means? It means literally it was about a quarter of a mile from where my wife used to work. Wow. Off of Peter's and Pine Island. And if you're from uh, the <laughs> South Florida area, you probably know where that is. Crazy story, Barry. A meth lab in the La Quinta. Share us your La Quinta story. Did it involve you having a meth lab? It did not. But years ago, this would have been, <sighs> shit, 15, 16 years ago. This would have been 2005 or six. Server or manager? Uh, manager at this stage. But my mother had Check. passed. Oh, sorry. And exactly, right? It's always the timing is a little off on some. <laughs> right? Uh my mother had passed, and I was going back and forth from Orlando when I was working at Universal as a manager and going to Fort Lauderdale to try to settle her estate. Long story short is I couldn't stay at her place because of all these rules and regulations, and I had to check into a La Quinta Inn. So this would have been, Jeff, the the kicker of this, it may have been the plantation La Quinta Inn. <laughs> That's, and the reason I my mother me. lived at a at a century village, uh, I was going to call it cemetery village, which is the old nickname, which seems a little odd that I say that. But uh, it was a century village and it was somewhere off of like Pine Island Road. It was out west, not too far from plantation. 
which makes me think it really may have been this one. So I'm checking in the hotel that night and there's a woman, there are two women with two young kids and it's about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And the young kids, I'm going to assume are anywhere between three and six years old, kids that should have already been in a hotel room. The one woman looked Hispanic and a little butch. I believe she just looked butch. I'll leave it at that. The other woman was tweaking and was tweaking really bad. And they were, I guess their credit card had been declined. I mean, no shock. And they were trying to get into their room, but because your credit cards declined, they then make your keys invalid. They lock the room. So they're downstairs with these two young kids screaming at the hotel clerk and i'm just trying to check in i'm not tweaking i'm not screaming i just want to not that that. you weren't tweaking that time not at not at that stage correct and the woman was tweaking so bad that it was painful to watch did the hotel front desk clerk have should she have made the call to authorities because as i'm there I was tempted to make the call to authorities because it was clear something bad was taking place here. In my head, I had formulated a story that this woman had uh, gotten divorced from her husband. She has the kids. He's off banging the babysitter, and she's hooked up with this other woman. It's a sexual relationship. And they're doing a lot of drugs together. And this woman oh, was that was all in the span of about two minutes. You formulated this story. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I did. Of course. So but in my head, I'm also thinking because we know that hotels are legally obligated if they believe that there's human trafficking taking place to call the authorities. And there's a moral obligation that goes along or an ethical obligation that goes along with this. Did that front desk clerk have an obligation to call the authorities? And I don't believe that they did because I don't I didn't hear any cop cars that night. Maybe they did. I don't know it. I believe that they do have an obligation if children are in danger. And I'm watching this woman's behavior. I would say the children could possibly be in danger. What do you think? Do you think that there's an obligation or not? I, you know, uh, I don't know how you do it in front of the people, uh, but I think. Right, right, right. You know, uh, maybe. Maybe what she does is she, uh, you know, go goes ahead and uh, opens, you know, like uh, clears the access so they can get into the room, then call the cops and have the cops go and uh, and investigate the situation to see if the kids are in any kind of danger. Certainly. It's again, it's I think when red flags like that are raised, I, I think it's an obligation of a business. And look, if. Let let's say just for matter of factly that the woman uh you know i'm worst case scenario the woman ods in the hotel room and dies and her partner decides that she she can't be a part of this and she kills the two kids right the hotel is legally obligated if there was a suspicion of the drug issue there there's an obligation there so i i i think from a legal standpoint yeah you you kind yeah, of kind of kind of a cya sort of liability yeah you, know, you, you yeah just, you just you have to protect to. yourself uh, but let, let me just mention, uh, since we uh, earlier in the show had the discussion of uh, Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, Lou chiming in with an excellent idea. Can Tony Khan bring in Sammy's jilted ex-fiance, whom he proposed to in the ring at the Dynamite show in Houston? 
and turn her into a man. That is an incredible idea, Barry. How great would that be? It, it's it makes a lot of sense. And I, so I had this conversation. Lou the Booker. <laughs> yeah, Lou the Booker. But it is. Look, Pam would be the biggest baby face. She would be the jilted lover. Nyla Rose, you could turn that. You could do it all. There's This is endless. The question is, is does Pam want to do this? Pam did not appear to be somebody that was overly comfortable in front of the cameras. Would they? So do how do you do you think Sammy should have showed better to to propose to your fiance on air and then just a few months later having essentially yeah, it's not a good look. It's, it's not, not a good look. look. Is it is it a slap in the face of poor Pam? Like, you know, oh, like it's, a, it's an incredible. It is, right. It's face. a douche. Yeah. It's a kind of a douche move. Look, we know that everybody's life moves on. But sure. when your life moves on so quick and you're essentially having uh, dry humping sex on television, it, it, you know, and you can make the case, look, it's acting, but they're a real life couple. Right. So it's not. Yeah. I don't know if I'm overly comfortable with it. Sammy may be. A, a bigger douchebag than we had thought. Well, it's the old Jerry Jarrett line. What is it that uh, real life issues? Uh, I don't know. Turn into you know money or what's, sure. he had a, the sign on his wall in his office or something. But yeah, if they could get that girl to become part of that storyline, holy shit, that would be unbelievable. You know, and just uh, and, and do something. Maybe you know, like they talk about doing a uh, a tag match with Sammy and Ty. Versus uh, who was it they were going to do? Uh, was it Ethan Page or Scorpio Sky? And uh, who's the uh, the girl that uh, Dan Lambert represents the UFC? Oh, shit. Uh, Van Zandt, Page Van Zandt. Yes. So if they do that, and it, isn't it funny how Dan Lambert, who everyone fucking hated like a month ago, now when he comes out with, with Sammy and Ty, Dan's like a baby face now. You know, that's how bad the switch in Sammy Guevara has become. But like, they do something where they do that tag, and then the girls in the audience, she does something to screw Sammy and cost him the win. Ooh, Barry, I smell money. Honestly, it's it's a missed opportunity if they don't. And I, in my head, it it should be contingent upon is is Sammy okay with this? And he absolutely should be because it's it's good for the company. And quite frankly, you know, you'd be a douche if you said no. And then the, the bigger question is, would, would Pam do this? Is Pam, who is not a wrestling person, Pam is probably, you know, back working her, her job and uh, just wants no part of any of this shit. I'm sure she's not turning on AEW now to see her ex-fiance again dry humping. No, and, and, and that Brazilian. Yeah. yeah. From that point of view, if she wants no part of it. Completely understandable. Yeah, but, but she could probably make more money than whatever she's currently doing, exactly. would be my guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, he's moved on. I would say, you know, take the money and do this. It's a genius idea. They could replay this. And and Pam, you know, look, think about the possible, you know, how much fun would this be? She, she was this nice, uh, average-looking person. You know, there wasn't a lot. She was just an, and that's what we we actually yeah. praised Sammy at the time. I remember saying, "Sammy, you're not going for this hot, this hot girl. You've got this average-looking woman that was fan. She comes out, and now she's completely evil. She's glamorized, maybe. <laughs> she's this evil persona. I don't. She I is. Think she is the woman scorned. And she would get over like a mother. Oh my apparently. god. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> is. Happen. Oh man. Lou, yes, Lou, you you. 
posed an idea and holy yes. shit uh let let me uh reach out to AEW oh no wait a minute i mean aewtickets.com oh <laughs> i'm not going to mention that someone called an old man by the way on the broadcast did you notice that that was that was pretty hilarious mjf calling uh, our old friend uh, an old man while he was interviewing him i did notice that is that weird to you because the first thing in my head was i knew i, I okay the person we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> kfa broken it's the name of the fucking show Alex Marvez. Hey, Alex. Uh, exactly. Marvez. <laughs> Marvez. So I knew Marvez as you did primarily. Yeah, he was like 18. Right, exactly. <laughs> he was like this tall, skinny kid. And you look at him now and you go, fuck. Does that mean we're old? Holy it shit. It does. It does. I was shocked. It's like, and I remember the first time I saw Alex after not seeing him for years. And I was, I was shocked. He had put on, I don't know, 50, 75 pounds and was older. So yeah, I was surprised. But Credit to Alex. He's got a full-time job in professional wrestling, so and we don't. So other than this very, very highly rated Peabody and Sherman award-winning podcast. Barry, you know, when you talk about great years for movies, I'll tell you a year that does not get enough love, courtesy of our friends at Empire Magazine. Got to get them on the show one day, Barry, because I give them a lot of props here. Courtesy of Empire Magazine, top 10 films of 1997. Barry, can you recall, rough top of your head, your favorite movie from 1997 that's going back, oh, 35 years now? Wow. No, 25. I, I Honestly, I don't think I, – I think Lebowski came out a year later in 98, so I don't I remember. I can tell you – I can tell you there is a movie that you and I have talked about that is near the top of this list, not number one. Okay. But when I tell you what number one is, you're going to go, yeah, I can see that because it's also a great movie. Starting number okay. 10, and again, this is courtesy of our friends at Empire Magazine. Not necessarily what we would have on there. because quite Good frankly, friends. Yeah, the, the, there's there's one that we're going to kind of skip over. But All right. number 10, it's John Woo's face-off, Barry. Nicholas Cage, John Travolta. Yeah, so, and I know we've talked about it. I uh, I don't love either of those two guys, which then hurts. I've the talked to them both, and they said, fuck Barry Rose. I'll tell you that. Sure. Right. I will say, and you did turn me on to the upcoming Nicolas Cage movie. Boy, which that looks, looks fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, oh, my does. God, it looks, that looks like one that I could be watching for the rest of my life on uh, over and over like I do with Lebowski. Looks just unbelievable. Travolta, uh, other than... I guess other than Pulp Fiction, I've never been a huge fan. I I like the movie. Not a fan I, of Saturday Night Fever. And uh, you know, I watched it. I didn't. I didn't know. Okay. Travolta just says, and I have no ill will towards the guy. This is not one of those things. I just, uh, whatever reason, I just never really cared too much about Travolta. A lot of people do. You you love Urban Cowboy and. Uh, look who's talking made. Please, I, like, I didn't say I, I didn't say I like look who's talking. Let's be candid. No, no. You but, said you liked uh, Urban Cowboy. Yes. Greece uh, yeah. was good in that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, look, look who's talking was a big deal when that came out in 89. That was an absolutely huge deal. Urban it, Cowboy. Urban Cowboy came out in 1980, my friend. No, no. Look who's talking. 89. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, it's I. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, I've seen it. I've watched it. I don't I don't love it. I don't love okay. face off. Number nine, Paul Verhoeven. How do you Paul Verhoeven. 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 Thank you. I want to make sure I could pronounce correctly. Starship yeah. Troopers. Oh, I thought you were going to say uh, uh, Total Recall, which actually would have been in the '90s. Starship Troopers is a fun movie. There's uh, a lot of stupidity in it, but it's fun. I wouldn't say I love the movie. It's not a terrible movie. 
but I could see for some people, they absolutely love this movie. And I understand that I could see why. Well, first of all, the movie has to be accepted for what it absolutely is, which yes. is a complete satire. Okay. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the way they absolutely skewer, excellent word, uh, use of the word skewer. Thank you. Uh, the whole military mindset, you know, like, uh, you know, and they're doing the parody of commercials, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff, a great, good looking cast. The, uh, the guy that uh, I'm trying to think of the actor's name now that, uh, he was also in uh, Shawshank Redemption as the, uh, sadistic guard. And I think he plays, uh, one of their, uh, their commanders or something like that. Uh, but a very good actor, but there's so many quotable lines in this movie, you know, like the only good bug is a dead bug. And then like, uh, you know, like when they're, uh, they're, they're sucking his brain out. Uh, I remember when I went to see this in the theater and, uh, there were just so many great lines. Uh, Clancy Brown. Thank you, Lou. You're absolutely right. Clancy Brown was in the movie and uh, he did a great job. One of those guys that every time you see him in a movie, he does a, a terrific job. So number eight, the one we're going to skip over is Princess Monon. Is it Monooki or, or whatever? It's an animated film. Bear, I'm going to guess you've never seen that. What's it called? Princess Monoki or Mononoki? Mononoki. Mononoki. Thank you, Lou. I zero. I've never even. Come on. You've got a young daughter. And when she was a child, you never showed her this fine film that was voted in the top 10 in 1997. What kind of parent are you, Barry? Princess Namoki? Monoki. Have you ever seen this film? I I did not have a child of that. Well, actually, I I didn't have a child either. I didn't have my first kid till 2001. Okay. My daughter would have been like five or six. Maybe her mom got her to watch it, but I wasn't (laughs) watching. I was probably watching football or wrestling at that point. Have you ever even heard of this movie? I I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. It's not right on my to do list. You know, let's put it that way. Got it. Okay. Don't be so critical of me, mister. Number seven, very underrated film, great cast. And I really appreciate when you have an actor who is willing to go out of his comfort zone. And this was definitely a case of this because Stallone uh, put on some weight, got a little fat and played the town. I think it was a town sheriff or a cop uh, in Copland. Great movie. Oh, yeah. Great movie. So this would have been the movie. And I don't know exactly what happened here. I don't for whatever reason, this movie wasn't as big as it probably should have been. And I think this could have changed the direction of Stallone's career, which would have been good for him. It would have put him into that that next realm of uh, of serious acting. And uh, I remember Michael Rappaport. I think this was one of his first films, and uh, he certainly is an interesting character, but did a great job. This is essentially, it's a town, it's corrupt cops. I believe it's New Jersey, if yeah, I'm correct. It's right and, across uh, the river from like Manhattan, whatever town yeah, it is. So. It, is uh, it is a really, really good movie. And Stallone, who uh, generally is a one-note Charlie when it comes to acting, he can't do a whole lot, I've never thought, does a really good job in this movie. Yeah. Let me uh, just uh, give a real quick. Uh, you got Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, uh, just some, uh, you know, you mentioned Michael Rappaport, Robert Patrick from the, uh, the yeah. Terminator franchise, uh, Noah Emmerich, who is a, a guy that was one of the leads in the TV show, The Americans, uh, Annabella Ciora, uh, Kathy Moriarty. Holy shit, man. There's like a Frank Vincent, a lot of great freaking actors in this movie. But uh, yeah, this is one. That people right off the, you know, it's not like you go, oh yeah, that was like, but man, if you are like, you run across this one night scanning for a a good movie to watch and you come across this, holy shit, this is a great movie, Barry. Next at number six, 
polarizing film, Barry. Probably Uh-oh. not a favorite of the Brothership, but a movie uh, that I do believe won the Academy Award for Best Picture that year. Oh, it's Leo and Kate in Titanic. Yeah. So, but Barry, this, will your heart go on? No, but I, I'll tell you a funny story. This will be Jeff. So I was in a. I was. We'll working be the ones a, to judge that, Mister. That's true. That's true. I was working in a restaurant. Server, manager. I was manager, and Checked. uh, I was. <laughs> we're in the dining room. That was for you, one Spike. Day. Yeah, exactly. And we're in the dining room one day, and there were residential apartments above us, and. Uh, a pipe broke and water started to flow down into the restaurant and it was coming down, not on the walls. It was coming down in the center of the restaurant and two guests walked in and they, I'll say they were in their late twenties, early thirties, but they, they were dressed nice. They, they, you know, these were affluent and they looked at it and they both started singing the song from Titanic. And I got to tell you, it was as funny as shit to hear that. Uh, when people were doing, it. I don't know if you think that's funny, but I thought that was funny. I, I the Titanic is a good movie in that, and I've never seen the whole thing. I've seen parts of it, and I just can't do the whole thing. It is exactly what the Academy. You did watch the damn ship go down. I hope that's the part I watch, and boy, is that impressive. Uh, and and that really is what it's all built around. I actually saw the beginning of the movie, and then I saw when the ship went down and then the end. And, uh, and I really liked that part of it. Uh, I tried to watch the stuff that was taking place beforehand. That's where I had the issue. I just, I couldn't relate. James Cameron's a great director. Uh, at the same time, the movie is a, I think it's way too long. It's too epic for its own good. And, uh, and I just didn't really care. I could have, I just didn't care when it comes down to it. That this is the kind of movie, though, that the Academy Awards used to love. I think they've changed in recent years, but in the just old days, bit. yeah, and just a wee bit. In the old days, it was movies like Chariots of Fire, which was a horrifically boring movie. If you were boring, long, and English, you were guaranteed, like the English patient, <laughs> you were guaranteed to win. You're making either a, a comedy or an action film. You have no chance. You had zero chance of winning anything. And it, it really you know, The came- great Steven Seagal was never nominated for an yes. award. Yes. Hard to believe that he never was. But if you're making like some three-hour bore fest and you have British overtones to it, you're fucking in and you're winning. Absolutely. Yeah. And let's be honest, because... Uh, I don't mean to go on a side tangent here on the Academy Awards. There's a certain amount of, uh, let's just say, uh, uh, them being full of themselves. And, uh, yeah, yeah let's, just let's, a little. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's pat ourselves on the back for how just noble and great we are. There's uh, the I, understatement of the year right there. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yes. I will say, you know who was great in this movie? Uh, besides the whole Leo and Kate thing, and uh, I appreciated uh, uh, Kate uh, you know, taking the clothes off uh, so Leo could draw her. That was a nice scene. Billy Zane was yes. tremendous as a heel in this movie because he he shit on Kate Winslet. And then the scene where he's like, he grabs a baby and says, I've got my child so he can get on the friggin' boat. That was that was really good heel stuff, Barry. Yeah, he Billy Zane, underrated actor. I don't know whatever yes. happened here and why we don't see Billy Zane. Very good actor, yes. Yes, next Barry at number five. Oh, now here's another great movie that was never nominated for an Academy Award. Barry, it was the very first out-of-the-box Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. Were you a fan? Yeah, I was a tempered fan. I actually, I saw the first couple in the theater, 
at least the first two. And I got to say, I, I think I actually saw the first one down at the Sawgrass Mills movie theater. I was down visiting my mother and uh, we went and we took her to see it. I don't believe she enjoyed it, but uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Like, you know, see, I think what would have been fair after all the experiences you had as a young child with the movies that your mom and dad took you to, sure. uh, you know, maybe take your mom to see like Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she might have liked it. That's that's exactly. the bitch of it. She no. <laughs> Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, when it first came out, was absolutely just uh, one, one of those things that everyone felt like they needed to see absolutely dead on the way they parodied easy for me to say they did a parody of the whole James Bond series uh so many you know like the with Dr Evil as you know like in his evil lair uh in the volcano and and everything about that was so dead perfect and it's part of what made it great and the second one uh, a few years later was great too ah but the third one not quite as good uh there were there were some funny uh Funny scenes, but it just kind of started losing a lot of steam. But this one, when I first saw it, wow, we just laughed our asses off. I don't really know, if, to be honest with you, if it holds up as well now, you know, some 25 years later. But when it first came out, this was absolutely hilarious stuff, Barry. Uh, it absolutely was. And uh, there was parts of it that I thought were really funny. Uh, yeah. It, and again, it made a franchise. There was a friend. I don't know how many of the movies there were, but there were several. Yeah. So, Barry, you discussed uh, previously that you weren't a huge fan of Nicolas Cage, although we're both looking forward to seeing his new movie. Yes. But, Barry, were you a fan 1997's Con Air? So I I, I liked I, – I should say the what I liked about Con Air more than anything was the premise and the idea of Con Air. I don't feel it was as fully executed as it probably could have been, uh, and there were some flaws with that, but I still like what the movie is. So I do like it. Yeah, you know, this this is one of those movies, and we've talked about this. You're sitting home on a Saturday afternoon. You got nothing to do, and you're like, what's on TV? What's a good movie I can get? And you can join this film at any point and enjoy it because what? besides uh, Nicolas Cage, you got John Cusack, John Malkovich, Cyrus the Virus. Uh, you've yes. got Colin, uh, Colin Meany. You've got, uh, let's see, um, Ving Rhames. Dave Chappelle, uh, Steve uh, Steve Buscemi, of course, is the uh, the Marietta. Uh, what is it? The Marietta Mahler or the Marietta something? Uh, Danny Trejo is Johnny Twenty Three. Ah, if they only yes. knew the truth, my number would be much higher. So just yep. so many uh, great character actors, great action film. Uh, let's be honest, the ending is a little, uh, you know with the plane crashing into the the Hard Rock Cafe guitar, and then he's got the little doll for his little girl. That's a little bit much, but it's a fun movie, Bear. It's a fun movie too, and that. That hard rock scene, if I'm correct, uh, I believe the movie had been financed by the, some people. They, at one point, a, a, a lot nice of the owners, advertisement for their yeah, casino. Yeah, a lot of the owners of Hard Rock were actually celebrities at one point, and I believe that that all tied into it. But yeah, that is that's actually a pretty good pretty good scene. Yeah, number uh, three, we're in the top three now, Barry. Now this is awesome. a movie. I don't think we've ever talked about this movie, but I really like it a lot. Barry, we mentioned John Cusack in the last film. Were you a fan of Gross Point Blank? I was. So Gross Point Blank was a movie that I probably, I didn't see when it first came out. And I happened to see it years later. And uh, I, and you and I, I think we even reviewed it on the uh, on the show. I know we discussed it. 
at one point, I think Dan Aykroyd and John Cusack, any of those scenes right there are like gold together. Uh, that's a really good movie. John Cusack at this stage, too, is a real uh, he's not making movies. I, I don't see him. And if he does, I think they're supporting roles now. But you get a movie like this and you go, why won't John Cusack have a career? Why didn't this work out? He was this he was a, let's be honest. He was a real big deal for like a five to seven year window. Yeah, you know? yeah. And when, and when he was like in his early twenties, he made like, oh, what what's the one that you like that he made so well? Uh, you know that you enjoyed so much. Oh, I like uh, One Crazy Summer and Better Off Dead. Yeah, and then of course he made Say Anything. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah. And then you know when he got into his adult years, he made uh, High Fidelity, which I really enjoyed. Yes. Uh, Serendipity, which is like a big rom com. Yeah. Uh, but Gross Point Blank. Uh, he, he plays a hitman who comes back for his high school reunion and sees the girl that he sort of left in this town uh, of Gross Point, Michigan, uh, played by Minnie Driver. Uh, his sister, his sister Joan, tremendously underrated actress. Uh, yes. You know, God bless her. She's she's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, among the rest of the people, Alan Arkin, Hank Azaria, uh, Jeremy Piven, Mitchell Ryan, just some great great. And this is a fun story. Uh, and then of course there's the scene with uh, was it Benny the Jet. Um, what was this? Let me see if I can find it. Uh, does. I, I don't know if I, I'm mispronouncing it, but there's a great fight scene that takes place at the high school reunion. That's really funny. Uh, but this is a really stellar movie, Barry. And, uh, you know, uh, again, if you've never seen gross point blank and you see it pop up on your TV set, uh, if not, if you don't watch it, at least, you know, uh, set it for record and go back and watch it later because it's absolutely worth your time. Barry, now we're to the top two. Barry, I told you that, the one at uh, number two was going to be a movie that you and I have discussed on multiple occasions that you and I both love. I'm going to start giving you hints, Barry. One of the great soundtracks of all time, in my opinion, at least. As it's a look at the 1970s pornography industry. What? I, I, I know you're shocked to hear that there's such a thing as pornography, but in fact, Barry... There is, and I know you're surprised. Number two, Barry, Boogie Nights. Well, Boogie Nights, I would say is... Uh, now, is I that would... something you could have taken your mom to see? Because that final scene... Uh... Oh, yeah. Well, there's a few of those scenes. It's a living the, thing, Barry. The It's a living thing. The one... The, yeah, that one... That Yeah, that would be really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. That my, anything involving that that topic with your parents, is that's brutal. Uh <laughs> And then the scene where Nina Hartley's getting gang banged uh, as her husband's watching. Yeah, so I'm glad I didn't take my mom to see that 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 film. Boogie Nights is great. I I like all of his work. I just saw Licorice Pizza, which I believe he was also the director of. Uh, there's there's two different Andersons. There's Paul Thomas and I think Wes Anderson. I definitely am getting him confused, but. Paul Thomas, P.T. Anderson also was the guy, I think he did Licorice Pizza, was also the guy that did Magnolia. And there's a lot of similarities between Magnolia, as far as the direction and the directing style, Magnolia and Boogie Nights. But Boogie Nights was great because you had a subject matter that for, you know, let's be honest, it's interesting, right? <laughs> like pornography, say what you want. It's pretty interesting. And you got to think we should interview someone about Barry. Oh, that would, we've never done that before. That's not a bad idea. So I, I, I think the subject matter was great, but then your, your cast, I mean, you had Burt Bert Reynolds in the movie. We talked about this recently as well. Burt Reynolds with maybe his last great role 
Uh, that was great. You've got the beautiful Heather Graham playing Roller Girl. Uh, the, the, there's so much about this movie that works. I love this movie. I would absolutely, I'm happy to hear it's number two. Uh, I, I'm assuming I'm not going to like number one as much based off of what you said, but I get that. But I really did think that Boogie Nights was a, was a real work of art. So let me uh, just real quick run through some of the cast members. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, Luis Guzman. Oh, he's great. Uh, John yeah. C. Riley, uh, Don Cheadle, Heather Graham. Uh, is this Heather Graham's best role ever? What do you think? I would say she's hot. Do you remember the scene with Don Cheadle when he goes to get donuts? Yes. Holy yeah. shit. Yes. He stakes himself to a, uh, a stereo place. Uh, yeah. William H. Macy, uh, Nina Hartley, uh, who may or may not have made uh, some films of that uh, genre. Uh, Joanna Gleason, uh, some, some, just some, uh, trying to see if there's anybody else here that people would recognize. Let me mention Robert Ridgely. Robert Ridgely was the guy that played the colonel. Uh, who uh, meets his ultimate downfall towards the end of the movie because he has this one tiny little flaw in the game, Barry, that he just can't seem to help himself. And the scene where he realizes that uh, yeah, Bert's not going to support him in this endeavor when he gets uh, caught by the popo, uh, it's a very dramatic and, and incredibly acted scene, Barry. Yeah, and remember this scene. I mean, there's so many. This is a oh yeah. I like it, Remember the scene where they go, uh, Mark Wahlberg and I think it's John C. Riley go over the house and with the cocaine. And oh yeah, the, yeah. Oh and my God. The guy is uh, Albert Molina. Is the guy that that's Albert. Know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, oh, yeah, he's yeah. great. And uh, then there, and then he escapes in the Corvette that runs out of gas. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so no, this is this is just a uh, you know. I love the one that's at number one. It's really one of my favorite films. Uh, every time I, I see it on, I make a point of watching because it's so well acted. But if you flipped one and two and made Boogie Nights number one, I, I couldn't find any flaw in that. Number one, though, Barry, 1997, uh, it was directed by Curtis Hansen based on a great book by James Elroy. It's L.A. Confidential. It's a great movie. It's uh, so here's a movie that just kind of disappeared. Nobody ever talks about it. It's all these years later. Uh, this is a this is a great movie. It's a film noir, and uh, it's I, Los Angeles set in I'll say the 40s or 50s without knowing. Would that that would be yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. it and, says here the 1950s, but you know okay. you could say late 40s and you you know wouldn't yeah. be far off. I don't know, but but and it's uh, but Curtis Hansen, great act, great uh, director as well, but. Uh, this movie works, I think, on every level. I remember seeing this movie and just going, wow, a really, really tremendous movie. The sad part is this movie, uh, you don't see it much on, you know, HBO. You don't see it much out there. And uh, I would love to see this movie again. It's been so many years. Yeah, you know, and what's great is the plot is so like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're so, it's so intricate. Uh, when Everything that is revealed is revealed. You sit there and you look back and, oh, man, that's the way that happened. And that's how they got that. And, and it's just amazing when the big reveal happens at the end of the movie. Uh, so many great actors. Um, Kevin Spacey, he's done some really scuzzy stuff, but he's yes. a fucking hell of an actor. You know, you can't argue that, uh, although you may not like him as a human being. Uh, Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, Kim Basinger. Uh, absolutely gorgeous in this movie. She was yeah. uh, uh, made to look like Veronica Lake. I actually hundred percent. Yeah, I just watched the movie yesterday with Veronica Lake, and wow, she does look like her. 
Uh, James Cromwell, who's a tremendous actor that nobody talks about, famous for uh, uh, Babe and uh, Babe Pig in the City. He plays the, uh, the police captain or whatever. Uh, Danny DeVito is uh, is great as like sort of the sleazy tabloid. Imagine Danny DeVito playing someone sleazy, Barry. A real <laughs> stretch from his career. Uh, David, uh, I believe it's pronounced Straytharn. Uh, Rob Rifkin. Oh, David Straytharn was in... Uh... Fuck! What was he in that we were we were just watching? We were just watching his show, and he was in it. No, uh, it was not the last pastor. I can tell you that. No, no, no. But it was a show <laughs> that I think I think a show that you and I had been watching over the last couple of months, and he had a very significant role in the show. Okay, now see you've said that. Now I need to go check on his uh, feed and see what. Uh, well, he was in Nightmare Alley. Uh, let's see if he's done anything really super recently. Uh, he was in Billions, which I know you watched. I haven't watched yet. Uh, I haven't come across anything recent that he's done that I would immediately jump out and recognize. But he's a great actor. There's no question about it. He's been in a million things. Uh, you know, he's one of those actors that you sit there and you say, oh, that guy. Uh, he was uh, He was definitely in uh, the Bourne Ultimatum as the uh, – the guy yep. at the uh, the CIA base that's trying to bump off uh, Jason Bourne, uh, so you you'll recognize his face from that. But L.A. Confidential again, so many great actors. What the other thing I liked about it, uh, and I'll just kind of put it this way in case people out there haven't seen it yet, uh, twenty five years later, there are people that at a relatively I won't say early in the movie, but middle of the movie get bumped off, and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe they killed that guy. You know, uh, Barry, you recall what I'm talking about? I do. I absolutely yeah. do. And uh, just uh, so many, a great direction, beautifully shot. Uh, and, you know, now that you say that, Straythorn, uh, he plays the sleazy, was it the director or movie producer that they go see, the cops? I think that's, I think it's the producer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, just a, a great film. Can't recommend it enough. So, 1997's best movie, according to the Empire Magazine is L.A. Confidential. Uh, I'm not going to complain a lot about that, as I said, and I think, Barry, you'll agree with me. If Boogie Nights had been one, L.A. Confidential two, or any of those uh, you know, variations, I don't think we'd find a complaint with that. What do you say, Bear? I agree, too, and I, I would say I like Boogie Nights more, but that's not to take away from L.A. Confidential. It's a, it, That's a movie that I think could have won a lot of awards. I don't know if it did, but it should have. Yeah. Both, both absolutely standout films. Uh, the rest of the list, you can argue, debate, but I think uh, these two definitely belong uh, as number one and two. Barry, now we're heading down the home stretch, and it's about time to do the old go home. What do you say, my man? Yeah, this was a fun episode. I should say, too, when I, in talking about the NBA, I think the other thing that I really like about the playoffs this year, and this will be a hometown thing, Joel Embiid is a superstar. This is not uh, a guy that uh, is just having a good game or something, you know, none of that. Joel Embiid, to me, has reached next level status in the NBA playoffs. He is a true superstar. Toronto, you won a game. That's it. It's all we're giving you. Look at you talking a little trash to the people up in Toronto. Damn right. Yeah. Yeah, in Ontario. And uh, Jeff Zinger is probably going to post a nasty comment. On that note, <laughs> I will remind you, Breaking Cape Abel Bowdrin and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. On behalf of our producer, the sweet man, Lou Kippelman, out in the city by the bay, and my co-host, Barry Rose, Plymouth meeting PA, I will remind you that sometimes they call me the booker. Take it home, Lewis. Lewis.